Blog Talk Radio. Executive producer Lois Wetzel coming to you live this morning from Houston, Texas at 9 a.m. Central Time. I want to remind you to register for Blog Talk Radio. It's free, and if you do that, you can rate my show, mark it as a favorite, or get reminders of upcoming shows. My call in number is 347 945 5309. You can telephone or you can call us using Skype. After you uh, get on the line, if you want me to open the line and let you speak on the show, like to ask a question, then hit the number one. Otherwise, you can just listen to the show on your phone. I also offer a free email newsletter about metaphysics, spirituality, the coming changes, all the kinds of things that we talk about here on this show, and I've been sending that out free for about 12 years now. So to sign up for that, you would go to my primary website, which is hotpinklotus.com, and I don't share your email address with anybody because your privacy is important. We've got a way cool show for you today. Our guest is uh, Linda Bocage, which is her government name, but her real name, her Native American name is Bonacqua, which translates into English as Sioux Woman. She's of mixed blood, Native American, Lakota and Cree, and Caucasian. She spent the first 10 years of her life with her great-grandmother as her teacher using all the languages, customs, and traditions of her lineage, as she puts it. And then after her great-grandmother walked on to another dimension, she spent the next 33 years lost between two worlds, trying to fit into the English-speaking one while trying to maintain her native heritage. So let's open the line to Bonacquay and find out how she managed to get all that in balance and where she is with that now. Hey, Juan, you there? Yes, good morning. How are you? Well, Let me I tell everybody, Juan's am... calling from Canada. She lives on a, a native <laughs> reservation most of the time. <laughs> yes, and we, well, we just have a very, very light dusting of snow out here this morning. It's only five below, so, but now you need to remember that's centigrade, not Fahrenheit. Um, if you want to convert it to Fahrenheit, okay, minus 5, minus 5, minus 10, plus 30. So that's about 20 degrees Fahrenheit. So not too wow. bad. It would be really bad here. <laughs> it would be seriously bad here. We well, would be all freaking I, out. I saw, on the, uh, I saw on the Weather Channel where, um, according to our, you know, centigrade, it would it was 23 there in Houston, so it's somewhere around 76, 77 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice and warm right now. It's been going up and down and up and down, but not much below 50. Well, we've hit 17 below. So, uh, <laughs> I know. You can keep that, honey. Uh, well, that's why in uh, about 10 more days, I'm headed to Texas for a visit. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's my. Right. Your son lives down here. Right, in Colleen, and uh, wow. I'm, I'm going to be headed down there, and I'll I'll be down in Texas for, well, until 11 of January, so almost a month. Cool. Yeah. Well, so why don't you tell us what happened after your grandmother passed on, kind of where I left off on the story, how you had trouble keeping balance between trying to live in the white man's world and and keep your native heritage alive, because I've often wondered, how, do, how does a person pull something like that off? 
Well, in all sincerity, it has a great deal to do with uh, the basic foundation. Uh, I am so grateful for the first 10 years of my life and having, you know, the solid foundation put under me that I had uh, because in the modern world, uh, the majority of the children are programmed to disconnect from the spirit realm. Um, You know, they have imaginary friends is what uh, the dominant society will say and that uh, many of the etherical aspects that they encounter, you know, the adults will say, oh, no, 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 that's just your imagination. Um, You know, this isn't real. So if you tell a child that, you know, uh, after a number of times, they're going to believe them. And so they they turn off that, that switch that connects them to the spirit world. Well, mine was very, very solidly implanted where it was never switched off. Um, not until after Miyunchi, um I'm sorry, I don't always think in English. So if I say something and you don't understand, please stop me and, and ask me to clarify it. Um, uh, uh, my grandmother uh, had so freely given her knowledge to me uh, of this world that we live in is the hologram. This is the illusion uh, that the spirit world is the real world. And uh, all of those beautiful, miraculous things that we experience when we are connected with the spirit world, that's the real world. So for me, that had been very solidly planted within me. But once she was gone, I did not have someone to talk about these things with. Now, even though my parents were uh, very understanding, uh, they were aware of the teachings and everything, but they themselves had not been brought up with that, so they were not able to help teach me to go any further than where I was. Mm -hmm. But they were very open and understanding to listening. And they encouraged me to continue with this path. Um, You know, they didn't give me this, oh, you know, it's just your imagination. Um, When I would talk about um, the angels coming or the star cousins coming and talking to me, they believed me. Because in their hearts, they know it's true. You know, you're the only person in the same age range as I am that I've ever heard say they weren't shut down when they were a child. Do you know how rare that is? We were all shut down. All us white kids that lived in the white community, anyway, uh, we were all shut down and told it was our imagination. And so you are so fortunate you never went through that. Well, I am very, very blessed. But the thing is, I was not raised on a res. I was raised in town. Well, actually, on a farm. I was raised on a farm in the hills of West Virginia. And, um, I mean, I I was one of those people that went to a two-room schoolhouse. 
Uh, I was, though, at school. My cousins and I were not permitted to speak our language. Now, this was not a residential school. This was a public school. And this was in the 40s, 50s, yada, yada. And we were not permitted to speak our language. Um, One particular time, and I talk about this uh, incident in my book, I wore a bracelet to school that my grandmother had given to me and uh, was informed that I would remove the bracelet. And I had always been taught to be respectful of elders, but yet to stand in my truth and not be told what to do, when to do, how to do uh, in regard to something that really meant um, a great deal to me. And I refused to remove the bracelet. And my in turn, my mother was called to the school, and uh, she was told that she would tell me I had to take the bracelet off and et cetera. And uh, my mother asked me, she said, okay, what's happening here? What's going on here? And I explained the situation to her, and my mother stood behind me, and she said, no, I will not force her to take that bracelet off. And uh, consequently, I ended up being suspended from school for three days. Um, It didn't get on my school record because my father, in turn, went to the school board. And, I mean, it's a whole other story. Uh, As I said, I talk about it in my book, uh, Awakening. And um, But it was through circumstances like that uh, where my parents supported me. in maintaining my spiritual connections. That's what got me through um, the next 33 years after Miyunchi had walked on uh, to get me or help get me to where I am today. Yeah, that's that's amazing that you had, that they would stand up to the school board and to the teacher like that. That is so awesome. Well, the, the the clincher of that whole thing was the fact that um, when I was born, um, my grandfather had insisted. Now, the doctor that delivered me was from Scotland and very much, you know, um, the dominant society or white-orientated, right? And especially in the South there in the in the U.S., I mean, to be Native was worse than being black. Um, The KKK was alive and well, and uh, we were targeted quite frequently. And as as a result, um, the majority of my family would never, never admit that they were Native. And uh, so my grandfather had insisted that that be put on my birth certificate. And I'm most grateful to him because uh, through that, that's basically how I got received my status, which is, I I think, hysterical because we have to have numbers to live in our own country. Um, Mm. But um, uh, the school board was went behind my parents' back and tried to get a new birth certificate for me that said that I was not Native. Yeah. Oh, my. Oh, my. That's pretty intense stuff. Yeah. So there yeah. was a legal situation. And, uh, yeah, uh, yeah it, it's pretty interesting. They were pretty invested in squashing that whole thing, weren't they? 
Oh, definitely. And as I said, this was a public school. This was not a residential school. This was not, you know, so when I hear people, um, especially here in Canada, uh, they really had quite a plight with the uh, residential school thing. And when I hear what people, is a residential school? Because we don't have those here, I don't think. Okay, a residential school is uh, a school that is church-run, not, not not necessarily Roman Catholic. Oh, we do have those. I know what you're talking about now. We just call them church schools. Yeah, but they are, or they were schools that were ran by the churches. The children were taken from their parents, especially here in Canada. We have um, many, many uh, bands. We don't say tribes. and We use the term bands um, up north. And uh, these these kids were literally kidnapped from their home and brought south and put into these residential schools, into these um, government uh, religious schools. And uh, their hair was cut. Uh, they couldn't speak their language. I mean, beaten, uh, all kinds of physical, sexual, mental abuse. Um, it's quite horrendous. And and there's an ongoing um, legal um, battle, so to speak, uh, whereby the government has admitted that they were wrong in doing this, and the churches have apologized and all of that kind of thing, but uh, many people are not aware that this is a generational type thing because yeah. the children were taken from their parents, they, the uh, their traditions, their language, everything like that was taken from them, and you end up with uh, a world full of very confused people who don't know who the heck they are. Yeah, yeah, this was done in many countries, in Africa as well. Exactly. Especially the Catholics did that a lot. So tell us the the story about the rattlesnake. I, oh. I read that in your, let's tell everybody what your website is. It's B-W-A-U-N-E-Q-U-A dot com. Correct. Yeah. So tell us the rattlesnake story. Well, um, snake medicine in our culture is very strong healing medicine. And um, the snakes... If people would only, many people, because of the dominant society and the religious thing, you know, they think of the Garden of Eden and, and Satan as the snake and et cetera. And for us, that is not true. We understand the the true nature of the snake. And when the snake grows, uh, it sheds one skin and has make, creates another. Um, when they are in that state of... Um, transitioning, um, their eyes are clouded over. Uh, It is said that they are walking between two worlds, uh, the physical world and the spirit world. And when people do that, they are very strong uh, because they have the true connection with the creator. So uh, back to my snake story, I was around 13 years of age, 12, 13, and through there. And my parents had moved from West Virginia to Ohio. And I, having been raised on the farm, I missed the farm a great deal. 
Well, I had a, an aunt and uncle that uh, were almost like my second parents, and um, my aunt Bertie and uncle Everett, and they had a, a farm outside of uh, Copolis, Ohio. And so I would go down there every vacation that I could and spend time with them. So I got down there, and it was, um, oh, late May, early June, and uh, my cousin and I, my cousin uh, George and I, we were um, just kind of hanging out, you know, in the barn, playing up in the hayloft and everything, and both of us all of a sudden decided that we were hungry for rattlesnake meat. Now, you need to understand that we ate a lot of wild game, you know, squirrel, rabbit, etc., and snake, turtle, and a rattlesnake is very good if it's prepared properly. Mm -hmm. So my cousin George and I, we decided we're going to go out and hunt rattlesnakes. I mean, we've done this with the adults a number of times, and uh, he's like three years older than I am, so, you know, we're, we're adult enough, we can do this. So we grabbed a hoe and a, if you can envision, a Y-shaped hook where uh, when the snake would strike, that would be put down over its head to hold it down, and then you whack off the head with the hoe, right? Now, so it's a Y-shaped what now? Is it a stick? A y-shaped? Okay, it's a Y-shaped stick. Okay. So that when the snake would strike... Okay, and it would flatten out because you need to remember a rattlesnake's coil and yeah. shake their rattle, and then they will strike at their prey. So when they would strike, then you would put that Y-shaped hook or stick down over their head, which would trap them, and they couldn't okay. recoil to strike back at you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So anyhow... As we're tramping down through the woods and out in the bush, um, my job was going to be to taunt the snake. And when the snake struck at me, my cousin was going to uh, put that hook down over its head and whack its head off with the hoe. Simple enough, right? Well, (laughs) as things go... uh, and you're that age and you really think that you know a great deal, uh, you soon find out how much you don't know. Uh, Like, number one, figure out the terrain that the snake is on. Is it flat land? Is it hilly? Uh, Is it going to be striking uphill, downhill? That type of thing. Uh, To understand that you observe the snake, see how many uh, rattles. It has at the end. If it has a few, it's a young snake. It's not going to be very long. It can't. It won't strike as far as an older snake. So these things we did not think about. And as we're walking down through, you can smell them. It all. It, they almost smell like um, wild leeks or wild onions. Okay, and we're hmm. going down through this little gully, and we smell them. And uh, so we stopped and, you know, looked around and everything, and uh, aha, here's the snake laying up here on a hillside. So my cousin, he's going to stop, kind of backtrack a bit, and go around the snake to come up behind it. And when he was in position, 
I start jumping up and down. And the snake, you know, with his coils uh, and his rattles, strikes at me. Well, he ends up in the side of my leg, uh, actually my ankle, and uh, my cousin whacked off the head, but the head is still in my leg with the poison still pumping into my system. So uh, we take the, the head out. He takes his belt off, makes a tourniquet up higher up on my leg. And I I truly have to laugh at the movies and at people. You see people in the movies um, cutting these uh, snake bites and sucking out the poison, right? Yeah. Well, excuse me, but if you have a cut in your mouth or a... Uh, uh, cavity or something like that, it's going to get into your bloodstream quicker than it's getting into mine, and you're going to end up dead far before I am. I mean, this... Yeah, the tissue underneath everybody's tongue absorbs so well that there are a lot of medications you take sublingually, so I always wondered how people could suck the poison out, and you're telling me that that's just baloney because you can't do that, it'll kill you. You got it. Dang. (laughs) I mean, the chances of it killing you are are a heck of a lot higher than, you know, it's just one of those things that back home it would be called stupid. Yeah. You know, (laughs) and if you stop and you think about it now. So from now on, folks, when you're watching the movies and you see people sucking this poison out of people's legs or arms or something, just laugh at it and and learn. But um, seriously, what we did was we uh, X'd where the puncture wounds were, and then you just barely graze the tissue between the puncture marks. And then you push like holy heck from the top down, trying to push the poison back out. Now, we were a good, oh, mile and a half away from the house, mile, two miles from the house. So my cousin has me piggyback on his back, and I got the hoe and hook in one hand and the snake in the other. And as we're coming up over the one ridge by down by the pig pen, uh, my aunt, who was in the kitchen, looks out, sees the two of us, sees the snake, sees the blood, and knows that one of us is in trouble. So she runs out and she starts. We had a big barrel ring out on the back porch. And according to how that was hit or struck, would tell people what was going on. I mean, there was a certain ring to come in to eat. There was a certain ring for uh, each individual out in the fields that had that were out there so that they would know that they needed to come back to the house. And then there's just the general panic ring, and that's what was going on. So by the time that we got back up to the house, um, and we, at that point we still had the old crank phones in the farmhouse. And I don't know if people know what those are, but we can go into that later. Um, but my aunt had called Point Pleasant and uh, to let them know that we were coming in so to make sure that they had um, some anti-venom uh, on, on hand. And uh, we get into, well, we're in the truck headed uh, for Point Pleasant, and I keep saying to my aunt, oh, please, don't call my mother. Don't tell my mother because she's going to kill me. You know, I'm not thinking, hey, stupid, you're dying here. 
I, I'm thinking my mother is going to kill me because isn't that isn't that a 13 year old for you though? Yep, you got it. You know, so we we get there and and to the well the hospital in those days was like what we would classify a clinic now. Um, there were like 20 beds and and it was uh, you know just a, a very small hospital. But uh, they started IVs on me right away. And, of course, in those days, uh, you had to have the arm stretched out in the IV in the main uh, artery in your arm, and they'd tape you down to a board, et cetera. And then, of course, they have to test you for the uh, to make sure that you aren't allergic to the antivenom and, mm-hmm. you know, to the serum. And uh, so that takes a while. But, um, yeah, I stayed overnight and... and uh, my my aunt did not, thank heavens, call my mother to tell her what had happened because I knew if she did, my mother would make me go home. And I certainly did not want to go home. But uh, staying overnight there at the, at the hospital um, the next day, I mean, which was a big treat because we got to eat breakfast in town. You know, it's back when it was like 99 cents for you know, uh, bacon and eggs and grits and gravy and biscuits and uh, hash browns and all everything. So that was a big treat uh, for me then. A uh, heck of a way to get the treat, but it was pretty cool. And then about, um, oh, about four or five weeks later, um, we were hanging up some uh, tobacco in the basin barn, and I don't know if you're aware of the lattice work that is created to hang tobacco on to let it dry. But it's overhead, um, is that correct? It's overhead I'm, lattice. Yes, yes. I think I've seen it in the movies. Probably. And uh, anyhow, the we were out there hanging this tobacco in the basin barn, and all of a sudden, here's this snake who had crawled across the lattice and was in my wrist. Uh, it was a young snake, I mean, not a real young one, but a, a younger than the first one who had 13 rattles on it. Oh, my God. Yeah, which uh, they figure, you know, I mean, the snake itself was six foot, thereabouts, and, and with the striking, um, you know, with the momentum from striking, it was, uh, yeah, a good uh, eight to ten feet, it would... Yeah, lay itself out, and that was the first one. But here I am with this second one stuck in my wrist. So this is another rattlesnake. Yes, about okay. four or five weeks later. I mean, we had rattlesnakes, we had copperhead, uh, cottonmouth, which is another form of rattlesnake, uh, black racer. But copperhead and, and rattlesnake was the dominant snakes that we had in the area. And uh, anyhow, here I am with this uh, snake stuck in my in my wrist. So I grabbed the back of the head, um, you know, am yelling for everybody. Uh, fortunately, it was in the right wrist rather than the left, which uh, the right is a little bit farther from the heart. So again, we tourniquet it off and um, you know head for head for Point Pleasant again. And again, my aunt had called them, and and by this time they were keeping a good supply in of the uh, 
uh, anti-venom out of the serum because several people were getting bit. And uh, we get back to the clinic, and they know that I'm not allergic to the um, anti-serum or the anti-venom, and, um, but they start the IV again, and they administer the, the serum. And uh, again, we got, I got to stay overnight, and again, we had a treat in the morning before we went back. And it couldn't have been more than about three weeks after that because it was just a few days before I was getting ready to go home. And it was one of those years where we had a second crop that was maturing. And um, I was just walking through the hayfield. And, of course, you know, being from the farm, being native, I either was wearing mocks or or no shoes. And 99% of the time, even to this day, it's no shoes, especially in a house or if I'm out outside uh, grass and stuff like that. So I'm walking along. I walked right into a nest of baby rattlesnakes. Hmm. Well, people are not aware that for their size, the uh, babies contain just as much or as potent uh, venom as a large snake because the venom is not, as they grow, it gets stronger. It's strong just according to their size, the potency of it. And um, one bit me on top of the, uh, of the foot. So off we go to Point Pleasant again, got in there, they just did the uh, the um, IV thing, you know, the ringers, D5W with ringers, and and uh, gave me the uh, anti-venom again. And the doctor looked at me and he said, if you get bit again, don't bother to come back because you have to have a natural immunity to this stuff by now. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it was like, Okay, fine, <laughs> but they didn't even keep me overnight or anything that time, so I missed out on the breakfast entirely, oh, <laughs> no, which was, was not my aim, but, uh, you know, it was a, a nice side benefit. But uh, at that point, I was very confused. I did not understand. I knew that there was lessons there. I was aware that I was being gifted, but I did not understand with what. Uh, you know, you I know didn't under- a lot of people would say that that was just your power animal acknowledging you, that you were being given snake medicine. Well, it basically, that's exactly what it boiled down to. But there wasn't uh, if, anybody saying that at the time, was there? No, no. Okay. And uh, so, as I said, there was no one else in the family that was carrying on the customs or the traditions or the teachings. So I was just thoroughly confused. But that night, as I, because in those days, we did not have screens on the windows. Um, I mean, the windows were just opened up to the elements, and you never knew what was coming in. I mean, we had raccoons come in. We had bats come in, you know, but it was kind of nice to be able just to sit on the edge of the window seal and, and just look out into the night sky and 
and uh, be one with all that was out there. And that night then, as I'm sitting there very confused and, and wanting to understand, um, Miyuchi came to me and uh, she explained to me that I was bitten three times in that 13th year because the number 13 are, are, well, at least for me, because it's bear medicine numbers and I'm bear clan. Um, the numbers 8 and 13 are very prominent for me. But she was explaining that the three times was for mind, body, spirit. That uh, she explained to me then about, you know, as the snake transitions and as it grows uh, physically, we also grow spiritually. And when we grow, we, like the snake, need to shed the old skin and create a new one. That we, like the snake, when the eyes are clouded over, we are walking between two worlds. And this was the gift that was being given to me. I was not aware at the time um, of what I would be doing eventually with this gift. But um, as an adult, I have come into my own, and I um, do carry sacred pipes for the people. Uh, I conduct sweat lodges and name-giving and uh, fast or vision quests. Um, So the gift that was being given to me was, again, a foundational um, gift for my future um, work, for lack of a better For your life mission, really. Yes, yes, pretty much in a way. So another way of wording that about what the gift is is the ability to walk between worlds? Yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, because I am uh, a Heoka uh, or a contraire, now a Heoka or a contraire individual is one that does things backwards. I mean, we even talk backwards. Uh, but we are known among the people as being very strong medicine people uh, because of our, well, I don't know a better word to use other than weirdness. Um, We are said to be connected very strongly with the spirit world. And it is said that a contraire or a heoka can do no wrong. So when... Many people, it's an example. If there are some of us gathered and we are doing a pipe ceremony, uh, many of those that are involved in the pipe ceremony are, quote, regular people. Um, They aren't contraires. They're, you know, just regular people. And they will do ceremony according to how they were taught which has been done for hundreds of years, okay? It's it's like following, um, all right, if you go to a church, uh, the Catholics have a certain way of doing ceremony. The Methodists have a certain way of doing ceremony. Um, the Jewish people have a certain way of doing their ceremony. So they follow those guidelines 
whenever they are doing their ceremony. Well, it is the same way with our people. Um, They will follow the guidelines of the teachings that have been given to them. Where for me, I do what it is that I'm told to do at the time. If I'm told to set facing all of those other individuals instead of facing east, that's what I do. Um, I am also a rain dancer. And I'm sure you've heard of the sun dance, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, So uh, the sun dance is for, quote, normal, unquote, people. The rain dance is for us contraries or us Hayoka people. And it's the exact same ceremony. It's just things are done backwards or a little differently. So um, it depends upon if you have a combination of just regular people and and contraries, or if you have strictly contraries. If you have strictly contraries, the ceremony is all done backwards. If you have a combination of the two, the ceremony is done exactly the same way that the sun dance is done. Um, so, uh, you know, it's with me being a contrary um, and having the snake medicine, I mean, the the two just complement each other. Makes sense? Yeah, it does. It makes a lot of sense. So if if you had to point at a an event or a period of time when you were able to finally begin to walk the good red road after 33 years of trying to keep things imbalance, walking in two different cultures, what would you say those experiences were that helped you to get on your your path that you're on now? Um, I would say that that had to take place in uh, 1992. Um, I mean, for years I had tried balancing that walking that fine line between two worlds and not knowing who I was. Once I found me, once I knew who I was, then it was no longer a problem. And that turning event, because of not having a teacher or not having um, someone to be able to go to all the time, you know, like I had with with Miyonchi, with my grandmother and stuff, Um, I shut a lot of things off. It's like when uh, the ancestors would talk to me, it would be like, I don't hear you, I don't hear you, because I don't know what to do, so I don't hear you. And um, at the time, I had... uh, uh, met my second husband. Um, My first husband was very abusive and um, an alcoholic, and and that's a whole other talk about, you know, um, lessons and and, uh, how things come about to make you into the individual that you are today. And I, again, talk about all of that in my my book. Um, But I had met and married my second husband, who was full blood, 
and um, had became involved with his teacher, uh, Porky White, who was out of um, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And at the time, uh, my husband and I were living in Minnesota, in Winona, Minnesota. And we, my husband and I, were up here, and uh, we were bringing uh, Porky up to do ceremony here in, at Nipissing on the res. And had been visiting over on Dokis Reserve, which is, um, okay, the reserves are numbered, uh, Nipissing is number 10, Dokis is number 9. So it's like about an hour and a half drive. And the ancestors had been trying to get through to me, and I'm going, I don't hear you, I don't hear you, I don't, you know, I don't know what to do, so don't talk to me type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're whipping down the road about 70, 75 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, I have a full-blown vision happen right in front of me. Now, I am totally aware that they took charge of the car um, because my later told me, he said, okay, um, this is what happened. He said, I kind of blanked out. He said, I knew that you were gone. I knew that you were with the spirit world. But he said, uh, I just kept hollering at you to uh, pump the brakes, and he guided the car off to the side of the road and then got it into park so that it wasn't going anyplace as this vision is unfolding in front of me. And uh, it was like... I know that it could not have been more than a few seconds, maybe even a minute. Uh, But, I mean, when you've got your whole field is what is going on in a different time, and you are a part of it, you're in it. I mean, there's nothing modern around you. Um, This is phenomenal, let me tell you. Scared Mm -hmm. the total tar out of me. But it was like when I came back and I looked at him and I realized that, you know, I had been driving. That was the last thing I remembered was I was driving, and here we are parked by the side of the road, and he's got me by the shoulders going, are you okay, are you okay? And I'm going, didn't you just see that? And he's going, see what? And at that point I knew I had to get some answers and I needed some help. And we were on our way to the airport to pick Porky up. And I always carry a package of SEMA um, tobacco because Mm -hmm. we have four sacred medicines, and that's SEMA or tobacco, sage, cedar, and sweetgrass. And the SEMA we use for all of our prayers and everything. So, And when we got to the airport, I didn't say anything to to my husband or anything. I just grabbed a package of SEMA out of the center console and headed for the inside of the airport. And as Porky comes walking through the gate, I'm standing there with my left hand out with this package of SEMA in it. And he just takes one look at me and he just busts out laughing. I mean, we natives have... uh, Humor is a very, very important medicine to us. And, I mean, we especially laugh at ourselves. But uh, 
Porky looked at me, and he just busted out laughing. He says, ah, they got through to you, did they? And I'm just standing there shaking my head, yes, <laughs> you know, and shaking like a leaf. So I would have to say that that was the pivotal point of um, getting me back to the native path, uh, getting my feet firmly planted on it, and then the teachers started coming. Wow. Yeah, quite phenomenal. And it was what was funny was I was I was trying to will and deal with the spirits. I said, Look, I promise, I give you my word and for me if I give my word, I do not give it easily and it will take death to break it. But when I give my word I give my word. It means something. And I said, I give you my word. I will listen from now on, but, oh, God, please don't ever do that to me again. Uh, it, it was pretty powerful. Wow. So why don't you tell us how someone could go about ordering this book that tells your life story? How Should they email you or... Yes, uh, on on my um, website uh, is my email address, and I think Amazon is out of them right now, but I do have a, a, a good stock. Um, so to email me, uh, do you want me to give the email address, or should I they just go to? I think that's a good idea, and say the website address again, too. Okay, um, I will spell it because it's easier uh, the website is www.bwaunequa.com. Now, my uh, email address is just Bawanaque, and that's B-W-A-U-N-E-Q-U-A at yahoo.ca, and I remember CA because it's Canada. It's not .com, it's .ca. Okay. So and, what and the, you, Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that basically the, the book, it's an autobiography of my journey of awakening. Uh, it's just called Awakening. Um, I think the back cover of the book pretty much covers what's in it. Um, uh, what I did was just put a um, brief synopsis together um, of some of my adventures and experiences that have made me or helped make me the individual that I am today. And uh, I share some of those. Uh, some uh, some of them take place in Hawaii. Um, I have worked with the uh, Kahunas over there uh, for the last six years. Um, I normally would go over and spend like uh, half of February and all of March there. Uh, they had a program going on that would fund, um, you know, help the funding for uh, travel and stuff to get there, but. The program has since um, expired, and they've been trying to get it reestablished. Um, so I have not uh, been back to Hawaii for a, a year. Uh, but I've also um, been to uh, Peru and uh, Bolivia and 
um, was connected with some master shamans there. And so it has, uh, I mean, my entire life is just, well, my husband um, passed six years ago. And since his passing, I mean, my whole life has just uh, exploded uh, in a spiritual way um, that has just been phenomenal. And I am just such a fortunate person um, to have chosen the extended family, to have chosen uh, my parents that I chose for this incarnation, um, my friends. Um, It's just phenomenal. It's awesome. So tell us a little bit about the healing work that you do. You do healing work on people. Yes. Um, I use uh, a variety of modalities. Um, I mean, I I was a Reiki master, but I haven't used Reiki for a number of years because I found Reiki was kind of like dial-up Internet and this uh, EHF or energy healing facilitating is like high speed. Uh, So consequently, I am a teacher of the EHF and everything, and I've uh, studied this over a number of years. Um, But it's just connecting with the energy field of the individual and, excuse me, um, holding the energy so that the body can heal itself. Now, I use a variety, it's like um, of shamic um, tools such as the drum, the shaker, the rattle. Uh, I will use sage to um, cleanse the area as I'm working. Um, I also use vocal crystals uh, to help promote uh, healing. Um, I have a little um, uh, 44-faceted vocal that I will use uh, on people to target certain areas where they have energy blockages, which, of course, then creates pain and, and suffering. And many people, when I use that uh, little 44 vocal, they'll swear up and down I'm using a laser on them. Um, so it's. I also use uh, tuning forks. Uh, I use voice. Um, I also am a certified uh, aromatherapist. Uh, so there's a variety of um, modalities and techniques uh, that I have learned over the years. And according to what the uh, client or patient, whatever name you choose to give the individual who comes and asks for that help, uh, according to what I am told that they need, that's what I do. I mean, it's not a set um, set routine or something that I do. Uh, it can be a combination of, of many things depending upon what that individual's body is saying it needs. Uh, But I also incorporate the healing sweats. um, And and, uh, for those who may not understand just the terminology sweat, it's a sweat lodge. And the sweat lodge can be used for a multitude of things. It can be used for cleansing. It can be used for healing physical, mental, spiritual, emotional healing. It can be used in celebration, like uh, I'm just going to be conducting a uh, a birthday sweat uh, in in the near future. 
And uh, so it's, uh, again, the sweat lodge can be used for, you know, um, many different reasons, but all for healing or celebrating. So you can heal people long distance as well, can't you? Yes. How does that work? Well, it's basically um, what I require from the person after they've contacted me uh, because I still hold very much to the native tradition where nothing is done unless the sema or the tobacco is offered. So I will ask them to uh, mail me uh, some tobacco. And then I set and I use that tobacco or that sema in the sacred pipe and uh, to find out what it is that they need to have done. Um, I am not the one that does it. I am not the one that heals anyone. Each individual has to take responsibility for their own healing. But what I do is I hold the energy, I hold the space, and help them with this extra energy to help them heal themselves. So once they have contacted me, uh, I ask them to, you know, I ask some questions and and get to know them. Um, Ask them to send me uh, some Sema tobacco. And then after I have smoked that in the sacred pipe, then uh, we set up a time and a day and uh, I will have my um, treatment table out. I make a heart and put that individual's name on that heart. I have, now for me, I use sage uh, to represent uh, the human body. And I put that heart exactly where the physical heart would be, and I do the treatment using that... um, image of of the individual with the intent that that is the in, individual. And I've had many people say that they, they feel me and they feel the energy as I am working on them. Yeah, I think it's uh, uh, becoming more and more a thing that people are able to accept, and that is the I- whole idea of long-distance healing, because... I'm seeing more and more people doing that. So if anybody feels like they want one to work on them, just know that we're all in this big soup together and it's all interconnected. It's like a gigantic energetic web. And it doesn't matter where you are. People can work on you long distance. So if you're feeling guided to be worked on, get get in touch with Juan. Is there any way other than email that they could get in touch with you that you want to give? or Um, Yeah, well, they can... um call me by phone um my home phone now i do not have an answering machine because i do travel quite a bit uh doing ceremonies and so forth and i don't really like people knowing when i'm gone gone you know um but my home phone is 705-495-3463 and if you do contact me by phone, um, you know, say who you are and how you know me. You know, that it's through uh, Lois's radio show and uh, that you've heard about me and so forth. So I don't go, who, 
what? <laughs> um, also, my cell phone, um, and uh, I do have a message service on my cell phone, is uh, 705-471-4018. Excellent. So that's how people get in touch with you if they want you to work on them at a distance. Right. Okay. That's about all the time we have today. Um, Is there anything that you want to say in closing? Well, um, I am available to do teachings. I am available to do seminars. Uh, I will travel. Um, So if anyone is interested in putting something like that together, Get a hold of me, and we can uh, work something out. Uh, I am available. Uh, This is part of what I am here to do on the planet at this time. And um, please, I am very willing to share what little knowledge and abilities that I carry. So uh, do not hesitate. The door is always open. Very cool. Thank you for being with us today. Oh, well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed this very much, and um, I I hope to uh, be invited back sometime. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Oh, this has really been a blast. Chimi, Gretsch, Lois. Thanks. Thanks. And I want to thank everybody who listened to the show today as well. And goodbye. Bye, Moppy. You still there, Lois?